It's a different kind of introduction. The kind of introduction where I don't say too much. Oh, <laughs> those are the best. <laughs> those are the best. Uh, But we need yeah. to explain. We have been no. again yes. away for a while. We were we were camping, you and me. Yes, we were. Your tent was right next to mine, or my tent was right next to yours. Oh, yeah, it was so romantic. It was. It was. <laughs> uh, and, and we, of course, is Tim and Mark. This is true. Yes, this is true. And this is news of the world. Your your weekly or semi-weekly review of news. Yes, from around the world. Your series of tubes to the real information that you've always cared about, or at least should have cared about, series if you would have known tubes. before. <laughs> series of tubes? That was foreshadowing. <laughs> yes, sort yes. of. Yes, today in our story, there will be tubes at there some will. point. Yes. At some point. But let's let's start with Ohm, Tim. Ohm. Ohm. I also call it Hacker Camp. Ohm, my God. Yeah. Yeah, we were at Ohm, which was great. Uh, first of all, you were at Ohm as a regular person. <laughs> yes. <laughs> which, which was uh, fun to watch because you, you, you would look around and go, I don't have to be anywhere. I, I, can, just, I can just walk around. I can do whatever I want. <laughs> yeah, that's what I did. Whatever you want. Yes. <laughs> yeah, it's the first time for a very, very, very long time that I haven't been involved with anything. I mean, I had that at the German camps too. Um, but last time... Uh, I spent time at the Dutch hacker camp was eight years ago at what the heck, and mm -hmm. I had to miss, um, I had to skip the um, the har event, so I don't know about that one. Yeah. Yes. So and I returned to yeah the situation with strong discussions on hacker ethics. Uh, yeah. All around. Yeah. Me. Yeah, that was a big one. I mean, uh, I think. Now that the event is over, it'll calm down a little, but I could be wrong. Uh, but of course, for people listening, the big issue was that here we had a hacker camp, uh, 3,500 people in the Netherlands, and it was sponsored. And among the sponsors were, uh, what do we call these, IT security type companies, or specifically this Fox IT, which is a Dutch uh, company, I believe. And it's been known to do things such as set up surveillance systems in, in Egypt, although it has sold off that, that area of its operation. But it's also cooperated with the Dutch police, the Dutch government on all sorts of, um, what do we call it, monitoring of humans and their activities and their datas. And you also had Microsoft uh, on that lower on the list of sponsors. Some people were very upset about that. I got to chair, no, not chair, I got to herald so basically moderate a debate about the issue um unfortunately the videos from the camp are, are taking quite a while i consider it quite a while it's been more than a week to go online so i can't point you yet to a link but um there was discussion about yeah when is it if ever okay to work with government agencies um sponsor events like Hacker Camp, which has some tradition, at least definitely in the German context, some tradition of um, being non-corporate and uh, independent to the, to, the, to the utmost level. And here we have a Dutch camp that is taking sponsorship. And there was a big debate, you know, is there a such thing as money without conditions? Um, I know people that, that uh, host events or run events And they really need uh, the the corporate sponsors or some kind of sponsors, and and they believe in money without conditions. Some of the Dutch participating in the panel, I shouldn't even say Dutch, more like some of the individuals who happen to be Dutch, um, you know, said they believe in this that that they're handed money, and these a lot of these companies that sponsor them um, say do what you're going to do. Uh, but of course, one of the topics that kept coming back is that strings are always attached, even if you don't see them. And so, you know, at the camp, you saw them, I saw them, there was Fox IT with a big tent and I think a pool and lots of families. I don't know if, if they were hired or if they work for Fox IT, but they were sitting there very happy. And that could be a recruiting tool. I mean, I guess that's one of the intended side effects of sponsoring an event and being present. That If you want to hire people, if you're looking for talent, uh, they may, you may find some. So... You know, that's one of the, the, the strings that is somehow attached. Yeah. That's at least, I mean, it's at least a possibility. And I mean, I don't object 
members of companies to be at these events and talk to people and you know have recruiting in mind but i think it's a totally different story if you're just around and do your thing or if you sort of have a, a fairground like presence uh, and sort of uh, take care that your logo is in as many places as possible um, <laughs> this whole sponsorship model i mean The discussion has been super strong in in Germany and uh, it was different in the Netherlands and might have been totally absent in other places. I don't know. It was apparently strong at the campsite too and there was this noisy square who, uh, well, um, Made a, lot of noise. A, a, a late arrival at the uh, camp in the planning stage with their own tent uh, with lots of talks focusing on these Uh, ethics uh, issues so people have been talking about this and i think it was good to um do that in the end there was no conclusion as there's a very strong uh difference in how the dutch deal with the government compared to germany you know in germany we have this super paranoid um we have to defend ourselves from the state uh, approach yeah, when it comes to uh, these things where in the netherlands it's more about yeah we have to talk to everybody and the way we deal with drugs here and we let the police into um drug shops to you know show them that it's okay you know mm -hmm, mm -hmm. uh they are sort of applying the same model here to right. the camp which you know is probably just a matter of different culture probably mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, but experience. that's not how i wouldn't even talk about the majority but at least some in the german community see it and so this was a hot topic until yeah. the very end yeah it was it was it wasn't the only topic but it, it started to feel that way sometimes you know i have a little story to bring up that i only realized when camp ended i was watching people take down tents on the on the actually the day after the last day and uh there was a massive tent from the dutch forensics institute mm -hmm. and they were there i saw one talk where they talked about how to investigate um bullets and and gun crimes it was sort of like csi you know where did the bullet come from how did it hit how, what trajectory and so forth it was kind of interesting and i i did see how it fits within this context yes but then i i noticed like at their campsite they had a huge tent and they had their official vehicles from the ministry which i was like wow who allows these vehicles to be used on a weekend for this event but they they do and i thought well okay i guess You know, it's not the police, it's not the, the Federal Investigation Bureau or something, but um, it's the Forensics Institute. They're the nerds, probably. Yeah. And I got home and I told a friend about how camp was, and I mentioned them, that they had been there. And she, she said, I can't believe you guys allow that. And I said, what do you mean? She goes, you know, the Dutch Forensic Institute has a DNA database that's very controversial. Uh, and she mentioned that she herself has been in protests at embassies on different political issues and that they have her DNA because she's been arrested at, uh, at protests. Mm -hmm. And they keep a database. Uh, it's supposed to be for very violent criminals, but, of course, protesters sometimes fit in this category. Yeah, yeah, terrorists. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> so, so she said, you know, didn't anyone debate that or discuss that? And I said, well, not where I was you know, walking around, but maybe somebody did. And uh, and it's amazing, you know, we never even got to that debate, at least not on such a big stage uh, as the Fox IT discussion w was going. Um, but again, that was a camp with the logo was present, at least in their tents and on their vehicles. And it was like a work trip for them. And uh, on the surface, maybe it's just a group that likes science and that happens to work for the government. But on the other hand, they were uh, there as the ministry, as people who work for the ministry is almost sponsored or at least that little area where they are. Yeah. So, uh, it was weird. It was, I hadn't even considered how controversial that could or, or should be. Yeah. And everybody seems to have a, um, a slightly different opinion on this, which is normal. Um, and it's very difficult to sort of summarize it and finally say like, that's how it's, how it's been received. You know, we have, critical yeah. people and i think this is also a sign of an uh, expanding scene that covers yeah. uh much more yeah. while in germany still the scene is pretty much community dominated and in the us mm -hmm. it's sort of just starting to reclaim 
you know, spurs of uh, community ship somehow after yeah. a long, long story of very commercial and government related activities for a long time on these events. Um, I'm not sure how where this is going, but I'm pretty happy that there's a discussion going on and it's for sure going to continue yeah. at the next Congress in uh, Hamburg at the end of the year. Yeah, that was a great event. I had a great time. I think uh, you enjoyed yourself as well. So that's the thing. Like We start off with this discussion about uh, the internal workings, the ethics, which is important. And at the same time, while all this is going on, you can still have a fantastic time. And, and I think a lot of people did. Even people who I know personally were not okay with what was going on in terms of Fox IT and the sponsorships. They still, wherever you are in, in the camp, you can have a great time. You can have a great discussion. As we often say, it's about the people. And there were plenty of interesting and, and enlightening people to, to spend time with. Sure. Yeah. I loved it. <laughs> I was a little sad at the end, as usual. Always the post-camp blues. It's like, I could stay a little longer. <laughs> uh, okay. Yeah. So, yeah. Uh, let's move on to the news that's the not news. hacking related, or at least not directly. <laughs> Depending on which political party you work for in <laughs> Mali. Uh, the breaking story actually broke last night, and then I woke up and we recorded this show. Um, in Mali, you had the second round of elections. Uh, the first round had been in, on the 28th of July, and uh, none of the candidates had an outright majority. So this was round two. And last night it was, uh, let's see, I got to get my names right. Uh, Sisse is Samul, Samela Sisse, um, admitted defeat, in fact, against uh, the rival uh Ibrahim Babakar Keita, he's also called IBK, both in the media and I hear uh, among regular people. So IBK is said to have uh, won the election. Uh, I guess the official word should be out right now. I'm not going to consult it. I'm not going to spoil my beautiful screen right now. Uh, but um, that was with two-thirds of the votes having been counted last night. So uh, it looks like, you know, new president in, in Mali. Um, of course, you get the accusations of massive fraud uh, in favor of Keita by, by Sisse's campaign. But uh, you do have observers. Uh, the EU uh, observer mission, for example, reports that uh, they're 99% uh, in compliance with uh, international standards, with the voting. They said it was 45% participation. I mean, that number is uh, pretty in line with what we see Uh, in other parts of the world, uh, maybe a little better, a little worse. And uh, so this could be what one of the main things that's been desired, a, a legitimate election. I'm not sure if the north and, and the areas of the country that have been a little bit more suspicious of the central government, I don't know if they're going to be pleased with this result. Uh, that's, a, that's a still a big issue. But um, at the very least, maybe, maybe it is going to be seen as a... Uh, a proper and legitimate election. Uh, we'll, we'll be hearing those stories in the coming days. And of course, this comes in Mali, where this year you've had, let's see, a coup, and then you had a uh, uprising, uh, and then you had a French military intervention. So it's been a, a pretty horrible, I think horrible is the word, year in Mali. And uh, this is hopefully the beginning of, of something more stable and something... Yeah, and hopefully something better for people. Hopefully, I'm not so sure these hopes are well founded. I mean, <laughs> the, um, the 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 problem with the intervention was first that the Tuareg marched in, mm -hmm. already got the Mali army in trouble. Yeah. Then the Tuaregs themselves got off sort of turned over by the uh, Islamic oriented rebels, and those are still, um, you know in their holdout in the north. So these problems are far from over. Mm. And uh, it's a big question if the Mali government will um, reach the kind of stability it needs in order to, you know, keep keep control of the country. Yeah, there's, there's four million, uh, sorry, four billion US dollars in aid that's been promised, hanging on these elections, I guess, um, they've been promised by international donors. So, you know, the country 
wants its wants some more money and and in theory to address these kind of issues but the question is yeah where where will the money go uh will it reach people who i guess feel quite abandoned by their central government in in many parts of the country uh that could make quite a difference but it, yeah it all depends on how they actually use their aid money um i don't know i, I really molly's been a a mystery to me over the past year or two um but this could be something I'm going to keep an eye out. And maybe next time on news, we can do a little uh, refresher on who the new president is, uh, what, what he's about. I don't have that today. Um, yeah, IBK. We have to learn more about IBK. Yeah, he was a former prime minister, so he's no total um, unknown p person to mm. the, the public. I mean, he's been uh, the prime minister until 2000 or so. Oh, okay. So he's been a part of the political process for a long time, and yeah, now he's president. We'll see what this uh, means. Mm -hmm. All right. Uh, I saw this week, or last week even, a news story from Beirut, and as you know, dear listeners, I'm always keeping an eye on what's going on with the Syrian, uh, the war really in Syria, and how it affects places such as Lebanon. Well, Last week, uh, Turkish pilots were kidnapped uh, on the road from the airport in Beirut to the actual city. Um, gunmen, the report was that gunmen had kidnapped the Turkish airline pilots. Um, the group already claiming responsibility is called Zuwar Imam Reda and uh, seemed to be named after an imam. Um, their gripe is with uh, Lebanese Shiites that have been fighting in Syria that were that are being held by the Turkish government. I guess they got them because they were close to the border. Mm -hmm. I'm not really clear on how they got them. But the, the strangest thing is, of course, you get these quotes in the media and, and uh, these groups that want to be heard where they say, uh, you know, so-called representatives of Shiites, high representatives say, well... This was the only way to get the attention of the Turkish government, and uh, it's it's being seen as like the only choice they had to demand the release of these prisoners, and um, it's uh, it's it's very strange. Uh, so they're being held, and the demand is release the the Shiite prisoners. Uh, Turkey, I don't think, is going to do that. Um, there's some kind of negotiation going on, but again, more examples every week of this conflict in Syria spilling over into Lebanon in some form or another. Some people think, you know, it's ultimately going to be some huge battle, but in fact, it may just keep being what it's been, which is these, these incidents of uh, violence, kidnapping, and uh, in, in places and times where you might not expect it, especially the road from the airport to the city. I mean, every day, many, many, many people, I'd say a couple of hundred, maybe a couple of thousand are taking that road. And, uh, yeah, it's it's amazing that you could just it's not that hard to kidnap a few pilots and and take them away. So, the story here is not really about Lebanon and it's not really about Turkey either. It's about Syria and it's about the developments there. We haven't really talked about uh this conflict for a while and it hasn't really improved much. No, um, no, no. It looks no, no. like the Syrian government has sort of turned uh you know, the forces to the rebels um, with quite some success. They have been able to get their hands on a few cities that they've lost before. Yes. So more and more the signs are pointing into a future where the country is sort of left divided. Yes. And uh, nobody knows what, you know, the result of this is going to be. The situation on all borders is sort of unstable, especially to Lebanon, with right. so many Shiites uh, crossing the border to help the Syrian government because they have been helping them, the Hezbollah, yeah. uh, for a, a very long time. And it's destabilizing um, all the countries around Syria, also because of the high number of refugees. Um, I don't have any exact numbers, uh, I guess nobody has, but it's totally obvious that lots of Syrians have crossed the border to Turkey, to Jordan, Oh yeah, uh, a country that's sort of filled with, you know, has more refugees from other countries than uh, original <laughs> Jordan inhabitants, yeah. uh, and Lebanon too. 
uh, which is causing a lot of problems for these countries, of course, uh, especially when it comes to um, young kids, you know, both heavily disturbed by the war as such and also the problem of education uh, as a language problem and all those. I mean, Jordan also speaks Arabic, mm -hmm. but all the other countries they could flee to, uh, you know, talking different languages and so on. So it's a big problem here yeah. um, too, and this is all related. Yes. Uh, the UN said last year oh, the number is something like 1.6 million refugees mm. Um, with like 200,000 that haven't been registered. Uh, so it's expected by the end of this year, 3.5 million Syrian refugees. I know that in Jordan, I think like one refugee camp is now the fourth largest city in the country. Uh, so yeah, it's, it's, it's a huge number. And uh, every country on the border is, is involved, of course. Uh, yeah, and, and, and it also lo it looks as if the international attention is also fading away. There's no real talk about, you know, how to deal with this situation. Everybody's yeah. sort of saying, the, yeah, it's, it's fucked up. Yeah, there was a significant moment to some extent at uh, the beginning of the summer when the U.S. announced, uh, not just the U.S., I think the EU was included, that they would uh, lift the ban on supplying arms and other, other goods, I think, as well, to the Syrian rebels, which at the time I thought would, would actually make them stronger. Um, and uh, in fact, now with these sort of advances made by Assad's military, uh, I, I don't know anymore. I mean, Assad also got his supplies from Russia and, yes. and all other armament uh, dealers. But still, I, I thought that would make a huge impact. And I, I'm not sure that it has at all. Um, or maybe the impact of that is only felt later, but it takes some time. I'm not really sure. But uh, yeah, it's been it's been a bad overall summer, and and even I think worse for the Syrian rebels uh, in all in all different forms. But uh, yeah, so that is the conflict, and and from what everybody says, Syrians especially, it will be the conflict for many years to come. And I don't know. That sounds like a very easy summary to make. Um, uh, perhaps in some something could happen to cause peace to cause it to stop earlier than expected but everybody sort of sits back and says this is going to be a long one so we are just going to be calm and watch yeah and ignore it for yeah. a while because yeah because apparently you can it's amazing that's how this world somehow functions uh, yeah. so right, let's turn to the US yeah, that there also was... has its share of problems Yeah, the U.S. has its, uh, its, its huge problems that many people around the world forget about uh, because it looks shiny sometimes from the outside, the, the whole glamour of the U.S. But uh, a big announcement from the Attorney General, Eric Holder, uh, prison reform. And you may say, what, it's just a speech, but it's the first time a Attorney General has said anything like this in... Well, I don't know. I think in a long time. Uh, the whole point of this big announcement yesterday is that they want to reform the way the U.S. Uh, handles, um, especially the federal government, handles jail and sentences. And as many people will know, the U.S. has long been doing in both states and on the federal level um, these minimum sentences for drug charges. In other words, uh, if you're caught with uh, weed or, or whatever drug you automatically get X amount of time in jail and fine. And it doesn't matter what your situation is, what the judge thinks. It's, it's sort of a, that's why we call the mandatory minimum. Uh, and that's been criticized for years. So, of course, the, the federal government is very slow, like a very slow-moving elephant. And they're now saying they're going to change these policies. Um, I mean, the reason is, Uh, besides it being unfair, um, you know, 40% of federal prisons are operating above capacity. So the, you know, the prisons are overcrowded. Um, and most of these people are doing drug-related crimes. And uh, you can bet they're pretty simple ones, you know, like having weed in your yeah. pocket. or Caught with a few like grams. That. Yeah, so... Um, 
this is part of what's going on. You know, they've long known that this is a problem, that that uh, a lot of the people also, you're in jail and you have a substance abuse problem. What you could really use is, you know, drug treatment, not being behind bars to really get better. Yeah, and it really so, makes, makes it... Um, I mean, prisons make problems bigger. That's what many people ignore. There's a, a standard way of looking at prisons like, oh, yeah, these are bad people and now they uh, get their punishment and... and, and in the end, they will learn that they have to, you know, turn to good people. But most of the time, most of these people aren't really, you know, on a criminal track. Yep. It's just they happen to, you know, get into the hands of um, the government by, you know, ignoring some rule that they didn't really care about that much because in the end... Uh, it's not really a big problem, you know, but the government is making it a problem. But by putting people into prison and basically connecting them to people who are on a criminal tra track, you know, and um, also pushing these people into problems they didn't have before, you know, usually you lose your job, you, you, you have to bring up lots of money to, to get out at all on bail if you're not managing to do that, you're uh, losing more friends. And so in the end, when you get out of prison, maybe your life is not completely uh, a disaster, but it has worsened a lot. So this is creating then extra problems for these people and in return is creating a lot more problems for society in general. And I think this overall calculation is now starting to work out in the minds of the politicians, if I'm following the news correctly here. I mean, the, the report you've been uh, referencing at Al Jazeera is mentioning that 25% of all prisoners worldwide are imprisoned in the U.S. <laughs> yes. With the U.S. making being 5% of a world population. So it's like... Yeah five times as much or four one out of four prisoners you know is imprisoned in the US land of the free <laughs> yeah yes yeah yeah um so that's that's the weird situation and i've long not understood what what the problem is here and i think what what's even adding to this and especially when you mention that there is 40% um um, uh, the prisons being working on 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 forty um, percent uh, above capacity. You know, most. Correct me if I'm wrong here, but many, if not most, prisons are privately run these days. So, so that's Is that true. Uh, a lot, yes, uh, or a but, lot, and it's grown. Yeah, the the U. There's ooh. I mean, there's a company called Corrections Corporation of America, and they have how many prisons? They have a lot of prisons. I'd have to look it up. Um, but what we're talking about is like this initial announcement is for federal prisons. So those are still government run prisons. Although, even there, I'm sure there's some room to, you know, contract out a lot of the services. But there are also, and that's going to be an issue here, a lot of prisons who, that are private. Uh, in different states around the country, and they make money on this whole culture that we've created. So, you know, that's one of the reasons, if you're wondering, how could this happen? Well, a lot of jobs and a lot of political uh, money for campaigns, and, you know, that you can find out why this yeah, is happening. Yeah, I mean, that, that's something I don't just don't get about the American society. I mean, prisons, private... Yeah. <laughs> Just think about how a company thinks about its markets. You know, they need to right. both keep the costs low, you know, so 30% yeah. above capacity on the free market is sort of considered to be a good use of your assets. You know? <laughs> yeah. And uh, you need to have more customers flowing in uh, or at least on a constant basis to, you know, make money of your investments. Course. Um, so that means that there are companies who make good money, uh, have a good interest in creating more prisoners. That's right. 
And that's where they put their money in. So they are putting the money into the political establishment in order to, you know, get results like new laws uh, or at least keep those laws in place that, uh, you know, result into this constant prisoner flow. And this is so bad on so many levels and I don't really get why anybody can't see the problems associated with that. It's look, we've done it in healthcare and there are examples of, of you know making money off of people being ill. The drug companies do it. I mean we have a whole culture of privatizing things that have a lot to do with life and and quality of life it's it's a crazy tradition i would say yeah but it's been accepted as better you know look we we live in europe where uh, if not now in a few years they will try and privatize almost everything around us uh, yeah i mean i mean i have this is better some understanding for private uh, enterprise in healthcare mm -hmm. or at least anything that's related to your body because there are lots of services that people might want that are not really need it so if they want to have it it's fine if they pay for it you know mm. uh but not the basic care but mm. prisons that's a totally different story here used to be yeah it's also <laughs> yeah. military um, also used to be i mean it's yeah yeah and that's uh, yeah same thing here yeah and secret service Uh, too, you know, we had that discussion, but we're not go yes. going to open the Snowden uh, teapot today. Not today. Uh, so, a corporation, uh, look, Corrections Corporation of America, by the way, the, the private, the largest private prison company in the U.S., they've got 60 facilities. Um, each of them apparently holding something like 90,000 or can hold 90,000 people. And, uh, you know, they make, let's see, net income. 162 plus bill, uh, million million dollars a year and uh yeah they're 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 huge and growing and uh that you know that's one of these issues because if you have a reform okay uh but what about the fact that uh, prisons are big business and uh you, you to some extent they do want prisoners <laughs> so if you change the prison system too much uh some people will be very upset And so maybe this reform will be watered down very soon, or maybe it's already watered down. Um, anyway, it's it's mostly a, a, things that the U.S. government has never said before and is finally saying. And that leads me to a next subtopic, and that is actually uh, one that we, we often come back to on this show, and that's cannabis. Um, a, a very interesting, in the American context, um, report done on cnn very conventional by you know one of these beloved uh, doctors tv doctors i think uh, sanjay gupta and it was called weed and it's uh, you can watch the whole thing on youtube i did last night i usually don't watch anything from cnn i just don't feel like it uh but this was interesting not only because it was about marijuana or cannabis as i'd rather call it and uh its use as a um medicinal drug And it's decriminalization, of course. We've got Colorado, Washington uh, State, um, Oregon. Actually, District of Columbia, uh, Washington, D.C., as will now have dispensaries. Yes, the seat of the government will have legal weed, uh, at least for medicinal purposes. You had Uruguay, which we have been talking about for a few months. They're now officially decriminalized. And um, the U.S. government basically is now under a lot of pressure and a lot of states are not waiting for the U.S. federal government to say something and they're using uh, cannabis as uh, a medicine that it can be used for and then they're opening it up for, for recreational use as well. Um, and it's, uh, it's a really interesting time to watch all this, especially if it goes on CNN. There are pictures of people rolling joints on CNN. That's, that, I don't even think that was allowed uh, a year ago. You can't, you can't be rolling. You can't roll on TV. Like, that's not allowed. Uh, and they did And they were it. reporting and about the U.S. or they were reporting about another... Uh, they other were reporting country. about the U.S. Now, they took a very CNN angle to it. So they focused on people with uh, sicknesses that are extremely painful and, and far, you know, pharmaceutical drugs aren't, aren't helping. So they, there's a child in the story that has um, epilepsy to the point that she has a seizure every few minutes And she's like five years old and she's not developing because she's just having seizures all day long. And they're trying every drug and it turns out, not to spoil the report for you, but it turns out that a certain type of cannabis, a very rare kind of cannabis, 
helped has helped her and they had to get it they had to sort of bend the rules but they found this amazing group of brothers i forget what they're called they're very famous brothers in colorado that grow marijuana as the family business and uh, for for medicinal purposes because now in colorado you can do that and they made a special strain um for the little girl and this was very controversial a five-year-old on cannabis you know, again, you can't even roll on TV, and now a five-year-old is getting cannabis on CNN. This is a big deal. You should watch this report. And remember when you watch it that this is for Americans. Yes. You know. <laughs> I mean, the this, whole... Yeah. yeah. Go ahead. Go ahead. And, 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 well, we have this discussion going on for a very long time in uh, Germany, so that's not really uh, news. Although it hasn't really changed here, too, you know. Um, hemp, you know... Yeah. Because that's what we're talking about. This plant is one of the most useful plants on earth for humans. You know, yeah. uh, it serves as the basis for so many uh, possible products, textiles, uh, lasts longer than many other uh, textiles, is a very good alternative to cotton. And, uh, and everything is prevented, you know, all these possible products that, you know, are not related to any kind of. Um, drug using scenario at all you know we're just talking about the plant and its fibers that are so strong and can be used for any kind of ropes and, 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 and uh, new technology on, on many levels and it's impossible to use it on a, a large scale just because of this weird scare about some substance you know in it and um, while most of the industrially used uh, hemp is you know doesn't really contain enough THC to get anybody stoned. Mm -hmm. So um, it's a weird discussion, and I think we have to turn it around in the long term. Uh, it might start, you know, these, uh, this is a good sign, and I think um, from what I've read, there's a general um, discussion coming up on how the U.S. is dealing with drugs, because this whole war on drugs thing... I mean, it has failed big time. Just look at the situation in, in Mexico, an area where we haven't really talked about much, but maybe we should in the future. Yeah. You know, Mexico is sort of the, the country is dying under this drug-related um, war that's, that's, that's going on. And it has a lot more to do with markets in the U.S. than yeah. um, consuming drugs in Mexico. Mm. Which is probably also taking place, but that that's not really the issue here. The the issue is drug trafficking and the huge market that is created by um, criminalizing this uh, substances and um, by turning around uh, at least for cannabis, you know, which would probably help a lot because you're sort of separating something that's not really in the um, in the area of danger like cocaine and uh, other substances, mm -hmm. you would sort of um, take a lot of steam out of this huge balloon that's close to explode. Yeah. Yeah, and, and, and there's a bridge here with, you know, um, when it comes to... I almost made a link to, to Hacker Camp for a second there, but um, this whole thing with, with, you know, you just brought up cannabis and hemp and the many uses... There was a company back in the 30s that felt threatened by a world that existed that used cannabis for so many things, and it wasn't owned by any one company. It was largely, let me use the term, open source. Um, the, and, and that was DuPont. I mean, it's not the only company in the world, but it is uh, massive. And they felt very threatened by, by hemp and because they had their own uh, wood pulp paper products and synthetic fabrics that they wanted to market. And at the same time, you had the creation of a Federal Bureau of Narcotics back in 1930 even. And there, the first uh, head of this department started the whole discussion. He uses the term reefer madness and a campaign oh. started right there to show people as being crazy when they're on reefer and being lazy. And there were films and there was propaganda and we could say, ah, you know, that that was a long time ago, but that stuff 
really like shaped a generation and we still have that in the u.s you know if somebody if somebody lights up a joint like at a family gathering or or even at a gathering of some friends it's kind of like ooh, secretive ooh, this is this is gonna make us crazy and uh this culture you know you grew up in it so then you have children and you pass it on uh, and and Again, this is where it's kind of interesting to watch this this CNN report because you get these families who are scared of weed and and consider it bad, but they're they want to heal. They want to you know now they want to know what it can do really instead of just what they were told it can do, like make you crazy and lazy and fall asleep or whatever. So um, it's it's a really amazing thing to watch. I last week uh, we had Emmanuel. And Kyle from 2600, they were still in Amsterdam for another couple of days after camp. And they're working on a documentary, could be a follow-up to Freedom Downtime, if anybody remembers that film. Um, and they're doing interviews. And we visited uh, the the biggest uh, marijuana grower, or one of the biggest, in, in the Netherlands, um, at least in Amsterdam, Soma, Soma Seeds. Uh, very interesting guy. He's been here for over 20 years now. He's made his life here. And... You know, he came here because he loves this plant, <laughs> and <laughs> and here he can grow it. Although now he's dealing with a lot of new regulations and a lot of judgment culturally, because the Dutch have changed culture-wise when it comes to looking at marijuana. Um, but he came here because back in the U.S. he was being arrested, he was being hunted down, and what was he doing? He was growing this plant. You know that that's what he was doing, and he was smoking it too. But um, so it, it was amazing to hang out with him. Above all, because he's really positive on what's going on in the world. He thinks, uh, and he is a generally very nice and happy guy. But he thinks that the world is starting to wake up after a very long sleep, and uh, he's very positive. He says, you know, it starts with these few countries. He talked about Uruguay for quite a while, and he said, but it's not it's not going to stop there. And as for the Netherlands, he said, well, they've, they're kind of confused, so the rest of the world will now take the lead. Um, it was a very interesting visit, especially in the context of everything that's going on right now. Just the right person to, to go see. Uh, anyway, whenever that film goes up, I'll also uh, mention it here on the program. Yeah, Reefer Madness is... It's a classic in a way if you have the chance yeah, to... Yeah, I've never seen it. I've never seen it. You've never seen it? Yeah, it's just crazy. It's just... You know, if you see it, you just people with big eyes. Your head. <laughs> yeah, no, it's like normal U.S. people behaving super crazy, sitting on the sofa, you know, smoking this joint and then going crazy. It's just ridiculous. <laughs> it's super ridiculous. You know, but but it was a, an instrument, a political instrument, to get this discussion uh, rolling. And I'm not so sure about what level. What, what what kind of influence this uh, whole industry anti hemp um, movement had on this? But it looks as if it has at least played a role in it. Mm. So there's always somebody interested in something completely different when people speak out for you know preventing something from being sold. Yeah, and um, also there are many people who make a lot of money out of. Um, the current situation, the yeah. current drug situation. And so that's what we should start thinking about. Yeah, indeed. Who benefits? Who benefits? Uh, yeah. And speaking of benefits, let's go to France. Uh, this happened, I think, actually quite a few weeks now. Uh, so uh, President Hollande made an announcement. Uh, he said there would be no fracking while he is president. And that's not code. He really means no fracking. Uh, so southern France especially, and I was just speaking with friends in southern France this week, and they talked about this. That's what really brought this issue to my attention. Not the media, but conversations from uh, French people. And they've been saying in southern France, farmers especially are having a lot of debates about whether or not natural gas should be explored for and, and uh, what do we call it, mining, um, in their on their properties. Well, the French president has announced there will be no fracking allowed uh, as long as he is around. Uh, interestingly, I looked it up, and companies like Total uh, had already been granted the right to ex do some exploring to quite a lot of area in in southern France, so they could they could make deals with some farmers even. Uh, but that's all been stopped now, and uh, you know this is because. 
the the French president agrees, or at least is is worried enough about the unknown when it comes to the potential for pollution, both of groundwater, of the environment in general, because uh, there are risks that come w- with uh, what we call fracking or shale gas exploration. And, uh, and, and Total now says they will fight the decision. It doesn't say exactly how. I assume that means in court. Um, but I also see this as eventually the demise of uh, François Hollande, because once you go up against Total, you probably, uh, <laughs> you probably lose. Um, yeah. Well, he has no uh, lack of problems, but I <laughs> think fracking in Europe is not off for a good start. Um, the discussion in Germany is still confusing. It's not that no, well, the current government is not really ruling it out, but they are not actively behind it either because they fear the public opinion on this. And I think the public opinion is pretty clear against this. Um, Although it's not really one of those main environmental uh, topics, but I think whenever there is a new initiative coming up, this will form pretty easily and quick and so i don't think we're going to see a big fracking industry trend in uh germany and probably not in europe in in general the main but yeah i think what what really changes things is economic situation of farmers um i've seen it in the u.s i see it in france from the discussions i've heard although for now the people in favor of it are are still in the minority but the problem is you know when not enough money is being made or when you know uh, farming agriculture in general is not profitable enough then farmers will start to look around and say well what else could i do oh wait a minute these guys are offering me uh, quite something lucrative and i i need it and in a context of france for example where the economy is the way it is with unemployment with with i i don't i think it's only a matter of time before fracking starts to happen. And interestingly, you know, the British have always been, a, easy to say, a bit different from continental Europe. Uh, but they lifted their ban on hydraulic fracking uh, last year. And, uh, you know, they say green light for fracking. And e- even though there have been a few issues with small tremors near drilling areas and some environmental concerns. Yeah, I mean, Britain uh, is slowly floating towards the shores of the U.S. You know, yes. It's, yes. Uh, the, the, <laughs> the channel is widening day to day. And uh, so I'm not surprised. Mm. Yeah. I, um, the the country that I'm concerned about the most in this uh, regard is uh, Canada, mm-hmm. because both they are still behind this and expanding it, and also because they are so close to um, the North Pole, and mm-hmm. uh, this technology is especially troublesome in these areas. Yeah, true, true, true. Well, we'll see. We'll see what happens with fracking. Uh, I wanted to bring up Australia because in the last... It's been a crazy summer, really. Australia's been going wild on the issue of refugees. Now, it's not the first year or anything like that. I mean, uh, Australia takes in its share of refugees in this world. A lot of people try and get there. And of course, you've probably seen the occasional story, even in mainstream media, of people arriving by boat or boats capsizing on their way to Australia. And the last few weeks have had a whole series of events and a big debate about uh, people, conservatives especially, but they're not alone, wanting to stop asylum seekers from making the the journey, especially from Papua New Guinea, which they're now saying is some doorway to to, uh, Australia for for people doing it illegally and still dangerous doorway because a lot of bad things can happen on the way and they say it's human trafficking. Um, you had some weeks ago a candidate, because as you know, uh, it's, uh, it's campaign time in, uh, in Australia. We know Julian Assange is running. Uh, you had a candidate step down from the One Nation Party. Of course, the minute you're called One Nation Party, you know there's going to be trouble. And, uh, <laughs> and, and I mean, not to, you know, not to obsess about these sort of Sarah Palin type candidates, but um, she, she made a, a, what we call a gaffe. She said... Quote, I don't oppose Islam as a country, but I do feel their their laws should not be welcome here in Australia. So, Islam as a country. Oof. And uh, 
So she quit and, and, you know, was embarrassed out of the election, which is always nice when you can actually be embarrassed enough to quit. Sometimes people are embarrassed and they just keep going. Um, and, uh, but, you know, there's this whole debate in Australia, whether or not, you know, when is it okay to take refugees? Uh, what kind? <laughs> um, and apparently, you know, there's a significant amount of people that think, oh, we can't, you know, we can't. So there's all kinds of political parties and political debates around this issue. I mean, I looked it up out of curiosity and, uh, you know, Australia takes in 13,000 refugees per year. But that that is mostly, you know, the people applying for visa programs and special programs. That's not the people coming by boat uh, necessarily. And, uh, you know, they have certain laws about uh, taking in people who are in trouble. In the last few years, you have a lot of people from Iraq Afghanistan, Burma uh, was high on the list. So there is a tradition here, but there's also a tradition of, especially when it comes to people coming by boat, of being very, uh, I would say, xenophobic and, and holding them in camps. That's been done. And they sit in these camps never being, you know, having to wait for their paperwork to come through and then it never comes through. So a lot of people are trying to skip this process and come via boat, via Papua New Guinea, uh, despite all the risks uh, and just move in. Comparable to the situation in Europe in the Mediterranean. Um, I'm amazed with how far, you know, you come from Somalia and you eventually arrive by boat in, in Australia. I mean, you make other stops along the way, but it's it's amazing what it people is. go through. Yeah. Is this, do you have the um, the feeling that this is a dominating topic for the elections? Um, it It seems to be a loud one in mainstream media. Whether or not it should be or not, it becomes this sort of issue that is used, playing on people's emotions. So I would say it's top three, uh, but I don't know that it's the main topic. Uh, okay. Yeah, I guess I should keep an eye out, a closer eye on Australian elections coming up. I, I don't know exactly when the date is. I don't think it's been announced yet. So that, that's another thing. And Julian Assange, what do you think on which, which place? Uh, the, the, they're saying, you mean how will he finish? No, what what the level of uh, importance uh, is that he plays in the media in this uh, election? Um, is Australia I, talking about this? We don't know. I think to some extent, yes. I talked to a few Australians at camp, in fact. <laughs> of course, that's a certain type of Australian that's at hacker camp. but um, And they're quite confident uh, that even among sort of mainstream voters, he will, he will have support. Uh, so... I think Julian Assange is not a huge issue in the big context of Australia and, and what's going on, but in in where he's running and for the position he's running for for parliament, um, they say he's he's very strong. And when I see candidates going down on such ignorance, uh, you know, about Islam and so forth, I think, yeah, Julian Assange is a very strong candidate. Um, I, I think he could win, yeah. Hmm. We should ask more Australians. Australians, tell us. Will he win? <laughs> but I think they're also busy with their own... Uh, uh, yeah, I don't think he's going to win anything. I mean, I would be surprised if the party is going into uh, parliament. But, I mean, himself, he's not going to uh, be in parliament in any way. And, via video? Uh, yeah, probably via video. But if he's, you know, if he's talking to the... Uh, Australians the same way he was talking to the hackers at the camp <laughs> during this Skype session. I'm not so sure he's going to be very successful because this was boring. Oh. Yeah. Oh. Well, we love him for what he's done and what he does, not necessarily for his speeches. <laughs> huh. All right, let's go. Last issue. And uh, you brought this one to the list. Uh, it's a Hyperloop yeah, transportation system. Yeah, it's the the hot shit of the week uh, and it was just released yesterday. Um, Elon Musk of PayPal, SpaceX and Tesla fame. This guy is uh, crazy. He's sort of popping up with new companies that change the world uh, on a regular basis. He's really... Um, uh, he's on, on his way to be one of the most influential individuals Uh, on this uh, planet, only I would only compare could only compare him to um, uh, what's this guy's name who's done Virgin the Virgin Empire. Branson? Uh, Richard. Yes, Richard yeah. Branson. So 
He's among those, you know, super rich startup guys. He made his money with PayPal and then he invested into new endeavors. And they all, you know, sort of show um, uh, a very, very interesting open mind, new approach to uh, problems, totally unhindered by traditional thinking. And I mean, he managed to start up the SpaceX company sort of on the way of taking over the NASA launch programs and the Dragon capsule and the um, the, uh, the associated rocket, the Falcon rocket, you know, mm -hmm. that's going to be the basis for um, American astronauts in yeah in the near future and so far they have making have been making a lot of progress and it doesn't really look as if this is just you know um nothing you know it's actually no. working uh same way in uh automobiles with tesla motors the first real electric car Uh, and while everybody else was thinking about like, oh, how can we make super cheap, super small cars, it was just going for the super fast cars, the super expensive cars, and sort of addressing those people with a lot of money. And and that worked, you know, and the, mm. and the car, I mean, I haven't seen it myself, uh, not to no. speak of being able to, to drive it, but... Um, If you follow the reports, and this com company is actually making money, you know, it's mm -hmm. uh, it's 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 thriving and uh, has seen significant uh, investment from traditional car companies um, too. So this Elon Musk now sort of turns to a totally new uh, topic, which is high-speed transportation. And yesterday he has put out a paper. Uh, sloppily worded um, paper, not a scientific paper, but explicitly meant to address the public in a special way, mm -hmm. describing his idea of how to deal with high-speed transportation. He's giving a, a very interesting example. It's a, a design that he's been working on for a long time, probably with lots of other people, but it's going under his name. Yeah called the Hyperloop. And this is as close to flying cars as, as anything I've, I've seen before, you know. Uh, basically, it's I'd say it's turning people into bullets that are then put into a long tube uh, where with super low pressure and why are, well, sort of floating on air cushions Uh, also accelerated by magnets, um, you are in a capsule that is traveling at, uh, oh no, I forgot the speed, like super high speed. It's fast. Um, I have to look it up. It's Sorry. way, way fast. I love how in the last two minutes you've said, I think, air cushions, tubes, uh, magnets. <laughs> yes, it's super crazy. But so it would be a loop. Uh, a, a series of tubes, you know, like yes. the internet. George Bush envisioned this. <laughs> and the example he's giving is uh, the connection between LA and San Francisco. Right. Um, can you tell me how long would you normally travel with a car? Ooh. Or how long would you normally travel with the plane? A top, top of my head, and not being a West Coast guy, I think at least four hours. Really? Uh, is that too much? I, don't know. I think if you drive really fast, you can make it. In probably not with the plane. Two and a half hours. The plane would probably be much faster than four hours. Yes, 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 yes. No, I mean driving. I mean driving because yes. I've been to I've been to Los Angeles. I've never been to San Francisco, and I remember asking, <laughs> "How do I go to San Francisco?" And they were like, "Oh, well, if you want to drive for a while." And I was like, "Oh, okay." Um, but so, uh, despite my ignorance, uh, yeah, it it if they did the hyper loop system with the tubes it would take 35 minutes now 
This comes in the context, and this is where I, I don't like Elon Musk this week because I find this, as much as it's inspiring, it's also really annoying. They're trying to build a high-speed rail system. I know, high-speed rail is such a 2000s thing. Um, California is way behind, so is the United States while we're at it. And, you know, Elon Musk is saying this is very expensive. It's too expensive. Of course, everything is too expensive nowadays if you want to do a massive project. I mean, uh, a metro line, one metro line in this city, I don't even know how many billions it's cost. Uh, So he's saying, you know, this costs too much. It wouldn't even be worth it. What we could do instead is make a hyperloop system. It, uh, you know, would just be a series of tubes. It wouldn't cost as much. (laughs) Uh, I'm too busy, but maybe someone else could do it. What an asshole. (laughs) Like... (laughs) first of all i'm wondering how many people are gonna go hey wait a minute we don't need this high-speed rail thing we could have tubes and then collapse the whole high-speed rail plan and start working on the tubes or wait then a political debate will ensue for 10 to 20 years no tubes until maybe much later so i find this a very reckless i mean i do I understand he's a genius of some kind, and what he's done is pretty impressive for sure. So, and even the the, the hyperloop system would be impressive, and maybe we'll get there one day. But it's funny how Cal, you know, uh, he's trying to build I, a high speed. I, rail I line. understand. Uh, I understand your point totally. And let me uh, reflect on this whole thing by giving an interesting example that we already had in Germany because in Germany in uh, the 90s we had a development called Transrapid which is a magnetic train nice and it's not a tube you know but it's also uh, it needs its extra track on poles and they actually built it. They actually operated it in the in a test area in northern Germany, uh, where there's a lot of space available. And uh, this was a super fast train going uh, around 500 kilometers per hour, which is 300 something miles per hour for our uh, American <laughs> listeners. Um, but by the way. <laughs> The whole world is using the metric system, but it's a different <laughs> discussion. Um, so, and, and, and the politicians were, you know, some politicians, those in power, you know, were sort of nurturing this project, putting a lot of money into it and so on. It's, it's, it's that same story. And then it was like the future, you know, look how fast you can go with this train and so on and so on. It would be so much faster than our current trains are. And this was, of course, in a time where the uh, standard speed of a high-speed train probably at the beginning of the 90s was something like, uh, I don't know, 160 something, probably mm-hmm. 200. Mm-hmm. Uh, these days we're much closer to 250 to uh, 300 in, uh, in France. Mm-hmm. In the end, this all failed. Uh, they have been, um, there was a proposition on the table to build the first real track between Berlin and Hamburg. Wow. And what happened was, so the politicians were sort of planning this, like this is the future and we need to, you know, once we build the first track in Germany, the world will see how well this works and then they're going to build it in China and so on, you know. So that was the story. And because there were these plans of building this Transrapid track, from Berlin to Hamburg, they were not investing into the standard rails furthering the cause of the standard high-speed train, the ICE in Germany, which was also built. So you had high-speed train connections all over Germany, just not between Berlin and Hamburg, because if they would have built that, everybody would have seen that, you know, investing into the Transrapid system wasn't really helping that much. You know, you would probably gain another 10 to 20 minutes but is it worth it to come up with a totally new system that's incompatible with everything else mm. probably not huh. so at some point in time this failed uh, it was also helped by an accident on this test track where the transrapid uh, collided with um a, a, a cart of construction workers and so on. So there was something going wrong with the software or the the overall security system, and this was sort of the the, the death penalty for uh, the project. 
now today we have this high speed train connection between Berlin and Hamburg and everything is fine. But it's funny that uh, this was finished in, I don't know, 2000 and something. And this was the first time that the train was going faster between Berlin and Hamburg than the original high speed train built in 90 or oh, yeah. now I don't really recall, but like the 30s or 40s, you know? It took uh -huh. them 60 years to catch up with history. And um, the whole point of the story is if you are investing in transportation technology, it's not only about the speed you can get from A to B. It's mm -hmm. much more about the overall system you want to apply to your country in general. And the standard train system, of course, is much more valuable because you can also have goods being transported over it. You can have stops every now and then. You know, you can combine it with local trains in, uh, on many levels. And that's something that's totally absent in the U.S. in general because I always get the feeling that the U.S. don't even know what trains are. <laughs> They don't believe in them. That's <laughs> They don't believe in trains and... Yeah, it's weird. Yeah. Uh, Germany and especially Japan being the total opposite of it. And Switzerland, of course. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, and Hyperloop would be and maybe will be awesome whenever it oh, yeah. finally appears. <laughs> Become uh, a bullet, you know? <laughs> Cruise at <laughs> 600 miles wrong? per hour <laughs> in a low pressure tube. Become a um, bullet. <laughs> They really don't advertise it that way. <laughs> yeah, but that's exactly. I mean, he's, I mean, I, I like the idea. I mean, uh, uh, that's that's the good point about it. You know, it's um, he's crazy enough to think the the crazy stuff. I can't What? see Grandma wanting to go become a bullet to get up to San Francisco. Like, just, <laughs> just, oh yeah, Hyperloop is for the young. <laughs> yeah, it's like space elevator. You know. uh -huh. <laughs> it's also you know the future and you just have to go for it you know? oh yeah no more you shuttles. need some more inventions you know and i'm not going to build it but probably somebody else is <laughs> which is pretty it's 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 also pretty cool of someone to be able to just <coughs> think of something awesome and then go yeah but i'm busy <laughs> so yeah but I, the system might still work for areas where you really only need uh, a to b connections For a long, I mean, think about Australia, for instance, you know, where you, everything you have is, you know, at the shore and you don't really need 100 train stations in the desert in between. So yeah. well, uh, it might be for, for them, too. They did have a massive project to cut to make a rail line that goes from north to south, right through the heart of the country. Yeah, that was one of my favorite ones, I think, in the, in the late 90s, early 2000s. Oh, anyway, uh The list normally would have had a new sources, but I didn't do that today. Uh, we'll, we'll be back with it uh, hopefully next week. Yes. But uh, yeah, that's, that, that concludes your ride today on the Amsterdam to Berlin Hyperloop. We hope you've enjoyed. <laughs> It's still an alpha, but we're working uh, on it. Yes. Yeah. You are the bullet. Wait, no. Are we the bullets? I don't know. We got to figure this out. Yeah. Let's all be a bullet together. <laughs> be the bullet. All right, so we'll be back again hopefully next week. And, uh, yeah, of course, on the website, uh, News of the World, you can uh, leave comments, and we often enjoy that. Or you can talk on Twitter. People like to talk on Twitter. So feel free to do that. Or on app.net. Or on app.net, which I'm slowly putting a second toe into. Yeah, do yes. it. It's right. much right. nicer. <laughs> all right, we'll see you all very soon. And goodbye. goodbye.